Hello and welcome to the Fabulous by Design podcast. I'm your host, Evie. I am excited you are listening today. This show inspires and empowers you to take the next step towards a life you can't stop thinking about. I am bringing in people from all over the world with authentic and inspiring stories. People who change their lives from good to better, from miserable to great, turned strategy into hope and became successful entrepreneurs and business owners, living their dream life on their own terms. Grab your favorite note-taking device, lean back and get inspired. I believe that everything you need to create the life of your dreams is already within you. My today's guest is Philippa. She is a coach, mentor, and author of the book, I See Me. I'm excited to hear her story, how she went from working as a lawyer to supporting highly sensitive people as a coach. Hello, Philippa. Thank you for being here today with me. Would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, hi. Uh, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. I'm Philippa, as you say. I um, I live in Bristol in the UK. And yeah, I used to be a lawyer, but I'm not anymore. And now I I help highly sensitive people um, thrive, basically, in a world that is not really set up for highly sensitive people to thrive. And my mission is to, is to, to change the narrative around sensitivity, um, rather than it being something we want to hide, to something to be proud of and for us to recognize the gifts and the strengths in being sensitive. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's me. Yeah, absolutely. I would like to later go a little bit uh, deeper into these gifts highly sensitive people carry with them. But before we dive deeper, how did it happen that you changed your career, if I may ask? Yeah, of course you may ask. Um, I... I probably lost my way, to be honest, when I was way back when I was choosing what to go to university and do. So I I grew up in a household with a lot of chaos, an alcoholic mother, quite a lot of trauma, really, in my childhood. So when I went off to university, I didn't know what to do. And I didn't want to do maths. I was very good at maths at school, but I didn't want to do a maths degree. So I decided to do law because I thought that was a general sort of, I don't know why, but I thought that would be a good thing to do and see what happened. I never intended to be a lawyer. Uh, and even then, I never intended to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. But by the time I finished my law degree, I'd secured a, um, a training contract with a big London law firm. I could have that to walk straight into. And I, I went and... I didn't stay at that law firm, but I did move around the country and stayed in the law for the next 27 years. So, you know, it, it served me well, I suppose. I definitely did it because I felt that I needed to be able to look after myself, mm -hmm. uh, to have a job that was secure, that was going to pay me enough to be able to live by myself if I needed to. And I think I thought it It gave me a sense of safety and security that I had been lacking in my childhood. But actually, in reality, what I did was throw myself into a high stress environment mm -hmm. uh, where my already frazzled nervous system was literally on the verge of a trauma response every single day. And I did it. I was good at it, which is why I stayed. I was good at it, probably for all the reasons that I now know due to my high sensitivity. Mm -hmm. But it was hard. It was tough and it took its toll. And I had quite a few episodes of burnout, a lot of depression. And and I also hid all that in in a bid to put on this mask of I am coping 
when mm-hmm. actually inside I wasn't coping at all. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was that's a very quick history of where I got to age 47, married two teenage boys. And all of a sudden, I've always had problems with my eyes, but they've always been correctable. And all of a sudden, something happened in one of my eyes that turned out to be severe damage to my retina. And I was told the damage was permanent. And I'd lost about three fifths of the sight in my eye. And they couldn't they couldn't quite work out what had happened. So they couldn't quite work out how to stop it. Mm-hmm. And I there was a real risk that I was going to lose the sight in that eye they couldn't tell me that it wasn't going to happen in the other. So I was definitely under the illusion, not even the illusion. There was a very real risk for a few weeks that I was going, I could well lose my sight. And spoiler alert, I didn't lose my sight. I did get most of it back, but the unraveling had started. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the world, my world as I knew it came crumbling, crashing down around my feet So the change that I've experienced was forced on me, really. And I do believe now that that was the universe giving me something that I could not ignore because I'd ignored all the signs to slow down, to actually look at who I am, what is good for me, what what am I here to do? And I I, I never took the time, never listened. I was too busy trying to fit in. So it gave me something that I couldn't ignore. And I didn't ignore it. So that led me to therapy. Sorry, there's a lot of talking, but if I just tell you my story, that led me to therapy. Go ahead, Philippa, we are listening. (laughs) Three years of therapy during which I I really looked at my childhood and how how what had happened then was still affecting me because I very much used to say, yeah, I had a crappy childhood, but that was then. I'm doing okay now. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I had to acknowledge to myself that I wasn't doing okay. So three years of therapy, I left therapy feeling much lighter. I mean, you're never done, but I'd looked at a lot of stuff and I left because I felt that that was enough for now. I'm, I'm sure I will go back to therapy one day, but not, I haven't felt the need to yet. But I was then left with this, okay, So I'm not carrying all this childhood trauma that I have carried for all these years. I feel changed. I don't want to go back to the job. I don't want to stay in the job that I'm in. I I, I totally recognize that their values do not match with mine. What is my purpose? Frankly, who am I now? Now I'm not just having to survive. Who am I? And that's why I left my job because I didn't want to stay where I was. And I sort of started this soul searching fact finding identity realizing journey i suppose mm-hmm. yeah it's a a lovely story philippa and i think many people go through exactly this that we think we have to be pursuing a career to either sustain ourselves either to please others or to just make sure that we have the people think in a good way of us, right? Because the fear is so often like, what if I do this? How are people going to think about me? I should be doing that, right? But somehow deep within every now and then we get a sign either from our body or whatever it is from the universe that this is not your path, but because we are so trapped or we are trying hard to keep on these masks, we ignore and you said you've been through several burnouts and this was not enough 
to say, hold on, there is something going wrong. And uh, I can relate to that. I've been there. I've been there too. I've been ignoring bulimia for 12 years. I've been wearing a mask, eating disorder. And I've been, I've been just, I've been somebody and next to me was the, the really van of uh, walking, right? And I was looking at this person from the outside, right? And I was looking at this person like, oh my God, you can become so much, but you have to do this. You have to be, right? You have to be here. You have to feel this way. And it, it was a trap till I couldn't anymore. And I think this is also what happened to you very dramatically as well. And it could have gone wrong. And you have... You were lucky that you said, okay, till here and no further. And now we're going to do something about it. Was this clear for you at that time that, okay, now I have to do something? And was it clear, like, what you're going to be doing in order to change? Oh, gosh, if only it had been clear. Um, no, I, no, it wasn't clear. And I had no idea what it was going to look like. I came home from the eye clinic one day after a really frustrating appointment when they still couldn't tell me what was going on. I mean, up to for about three or four years before I lost the sight in my eye, I knew I was getting more and more angry. Mm -hmm. I could just feel that my reactions to things were a bit off. They were way big for, for what was going on. And when I came home from the clinic this day, I was absolutely, I was just beside myself. I was so angry. I was so upset. And I just said to my husband that we couldn't carry on living like that with me being like that, because I, the last thing I wanted to do coming from the family I'd come from was to be behaving in a way that was going to screw my kids up. That was absolutely not what I wanted to do. So I said to him, I'm going to have to go and get some help. I've got nothing. Otherwise, I'm going to have to leave. So I had to really hit that place of, I can't be here anymore in the way that, that I am. It just doesn't feel right to me to be putting everybody through this. So I'm going to have to go to therapy. And I think I knew in that moment that it was going to be big. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it was going to look like. And I didn't know what I was going to uncover. I've, I've now got nothing to lose. I felt like I was on the verge of losing it all anyway. So for me, I had to get to that place before I was willing to actually go and delve into it and go to therapy. I mean, I don't believe you have to go to therapy. I think there are lots of different ways you can do this work. But um, I started off going to therapy. Um, I just I, I just didn't know what else to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, this was my last resort. It was either it was back then it was also a moment of either I, I leave this and it was back then a relationship like I have to go because nobody can deal with me like this anymore and I don't want to be a burden and I would have been ready to deal with myself alone forever in this world right yeah. <laughs> this is just yeah. an, another another form of running away right so I think it's Right, if you say like I need to leave my family otherwise, so you chose for your family, for yourself, you didn't run away and you were facing the problem. In my case, it was therapy too, but I do agree there are so many different ways uh, to work through this process, definitely. And when was it, Filippo, when you realized that you are highly sensitive? And how was how was that when you realized that? How what happened? Well, it, it, it's interesting the way it's all panned out for me over the last few years, really. It feels like since I've been to therapy, everything that I'm learning about myself is coming at the, 
you know, the right time and on the back of something that I've already learned. So, yes, I went to therapy. I learned about nervous system regulation. I learned about my frozen inner child. I learned about how to integrate, you know, the adult me now with my inner child, how to reparent my inner child and, and you know, how to calm my nervous system and how to maybe put some things in place for me that help my nervous system stay in a in a regulated place as often as I can or to get back there quickly when I'm activated. So I'd already got a lot of these great tools in place. And you know, they're not hard, you know, they're not, they're not like really hard stuff. It's breathing and I cut out alcohol and caffeine for a while, you know, because of the stimulation that comes from those things. And just generally trying to wind my life down a notch or two so that I could sort of find a bit of an even keel. So I left therapy in January 2020, just before we all went into lockdown and the pandemic started. Um, And the year I then, I lost all the work that I had because I was actually a self-employed risk and compliance consultant at that stage in a law firm. Mm -hmm. I lost all my work and I had already no, I wasn't. I'd left the job. I left the job in 2019. Sorry, I was doing a little bit of freelance work, only a little bit, and I lost all that. Then I decided that I was, I was just, I had nothing else to lose again. So I built a website and decided that I was going to see if I could get some work as a coach because really that is what the natural place that I've always fallen into, always. Um, you know, deep, meaningful conversations, getting to the root of things with people and really helping them see their way out in a way or supporting Mm -hmm. them to find their way out. Mm -hmm. So I did that. I got a coaching certification, uh, but I knew there was something missing. There was something that didn't feel quite right yet. And I'm a great podcast listener. And I was listening to a favorite podcast of mine. And there was a lady on there called Julie Beeland. Anybody who's an HSP will probably know the name Julie Beeland. And she was talking about high sensitivity being a highly sensitive person. And I was just listening to her thinking, oh gosh, I think this is me. So Mm -hmm. I'd never, never understood that I, I'd never heard of highly sensitive person. I never heard of high sensitivity. I had, it never crossed my mind that a lot of my experiences in life that I'd felt so deeply might be because actually I'm really sensitive. I just thought it was because I was somehow flawed and broken in some way Mm -hmm. Um, and other people could manage it and I couldn't. So that sent me down the rabbit hole of discovering high sensitivity. I started listening to her podcast and on her podcast was a guest one day called Willow McIntosh, who runs a coaching program for high sensory coaches. So I ended up on his coaching program and that has been another massive part of unlocking who I am for me to, to really understand the the core of what it means to be highly sensitive, the the gifts that, that come with that, the beauty, the gifts, the strength that comes with that, and also how I naturally use those gifts in my coaching in a way that I'd never understood before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, and now actually I'm facilitating groups in his program and I'm going to be running some of his program. So I've stayed with him and there's a few of us learning to actually run his program, which is, which is brilliant. But also being highly sensitive, the things that I need to do to help me thrive as someone who experiences a lot of stimulation 
from sensory data, a lot of those things that I need to do are absolutely the things I learned to do to calm my nervous system as part of my trauma recovery. So it, it didn't come as a massive surprise. Well, yes, well, a massive problem in a way, mm-hmm. as in it was mm-hmm. other things that I had to do. I was already doing them. Mm-hmm. I understand. So it, yeah. Yeah. So it just linked in really nicely. Yeah, I, I get that. Two things, Philippa, you mentioned before that it was to calm down the nerve system and it was all the the easy things like breathing, leaving out coffee and alcohol for a bit of time. There is meditation. There are so many tools to use. And I think you would agree with me if I say that the reason why people don't use it is probably because they seem also easy and everybody is looking for the magic pill to save them, uh- yeah, I, I'm sure, it, uh, you know, lots of people would take a pill if they thought if they could do to just, um, but but these are real things that come from inside mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we need to change the, the internal landscape inside us, the way we think, not think, the way we feel, the way we are in order to really make that big shift. Well, you can do it with a pill. You can do it with all sorts of substances and you can shift the way that you feel. But what you're actually doing with those is numbing what is going on. Yeah, ignoring. Yeah, absolutely. Ignoring. Yeah, it's avoidance. To actually sort of, you know, look at it face on and look at it for what it is and feel that discomfort is life changing. Yeah. But it's not easy at times. Yeah, Yeah. but it's worth it. I agree. Yeah. And when, where does high sensitivity start? Because I can tell from myself that I am, I am a sensitive person now, whether it's highly sensitive, we can debate about it, right? To give you an example, like I dislike big time eating with loud and loud surroundings because it makes me feel uncomfortable. So music is not even a thing, right? Loud music. I cannot have it. I am easily blown by uh, big masses and generally everything that is loud around me, I am taking this in a lot. A loud AC for a long time makes me feel uncomfortable and I have the feeling I have to run in circles because I just can't calm down. And I hear this where other people don't hear it, for example, right? And I just learned Mm -hmm. to... To, to live with that and not to ignore it. And I think my partner is very much supporting me in that because first, as you said, I felt like I am a creep. I am weird. <laughs> Why does everybody yeah. sit with music as dinner and I can't enjoy my favorite dish because really I needed to walk out. Or, I mean, I can be in loud, like I can be in clubs, but then there I go for clubbing, right? It's something completely different if I consciously choose for this environment. So, yes. So I don't know if it's now highly sensitive or not, but I'm dealing with that in a sense of acceptance and literally taking what I need to wind down by the end of the day after computer work, screen work, whatever. But where does high sensitivity start? Is there something like a scale? We're all on a scale of sensitivity somewhere. They reckon that about 40% of people, uh, no, sorry, 30%, 20 to 30% are highly sensitive. About 30% are really not very sensitive. And then you've got 40% in the middle that are Mm sensitive-ish. So, I mean, it's like all these things. There There is a scale, there is a spectrum. And, you know, there is no defined point at which you go from being uh, averagely sensitive to highly sensitive. But, you know, if you are resonating with some of the of the the traits of being highly sensitive, the more you resonate with those 
individual sort of characteristics of the trait, the more likely, the more higher up the scale you're going to be, I'd say. So Elaine Aron, who is the, you know, lots of people talk about Elaine Aron's book from the 90s, which is called The Highly Sensitive Person. And she was the academic who who really sort of brought the phrase into common sort of parlance. You know, it, it, it became not that I'd ever heard of it, but it definitely became something at that stage. And she has a test on her website. There is a test on Julie Beelan's website. There's a test on Willow McIntosh's website. They're all very similar. Mm-hmm. There's usually 20-ish questions, and I say yes to about 17 of them. So I'm quite high up the scale. So a bit like you, I mean, you're definitely sensitive. We can tell that already from your the, the way that you react to, to noise. For mm-hmm. me, the things that really stood out were that um, I jump really easily. Like somebody can come up behind me and go, boo, and I won't just go, oh, I'll go, you know, um, I'm really easily startled. You know, when you like walk around the corner and you bump into somebody because you can't see who's coming around the corner and you don't just go, oh, you go, I go, oh, you know, mm-hmm. I, so I definitely startle really easily. Some smells can really make me feel sick. You know, don't put me in a room with somebody who's wearing really strong aftershave or perfume, because if yes. it's one of those smells that gets in my nose, there is absolutely no way I can stay yes. there. Yes, just right now, when I had dinner outside with my partner, we went back to the hotel room. So I'm just to, to clarify, I'm currently on vacation on Thailand, right? So that's why I'm in yes. a hotel room. And I went into the uh, elevator and I was like, ugh. And he was like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, don't you smell yeah. that? And it's like, yeah. oh, it doesn't bother, right? Yeah. I'm like, oh, how can you? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Violent yeah. Va- violent movies. I, mm. I just can't watch the violence. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so and clothing, you know, we tend to like, highly sensitive people tend to like, so I can see the look on your face, you know, like labels and scratchy material really drive you mad. You have to cut the labels out. You like soft, uh, you know, cozy fabrics and things like that. Everything that so is synthetic all... doesn't sit well, right? Yeah. Yeah. So those are all the, you know, the, the touch, the sight, the, the smell, all those sort of things. And then we get to the the other characteristics, which are, you know, not not really liking making small talk, want to have deep, meaningful conversations all the time, being able to read a room really mm-hmm. easily because you're picking up what we're, we're picking up on all the data that mm-hmm. is going, coming in the room. So we can we can sense when somebody's a little bit off. We can see whether maybe they're breathing a bit heavier than they were a moment ago. We can see little micro uh, changes in micro expressions on people's faces that come and go and we spot it. I mean, you know, I could go on, but mm-hmm. those are, you know, those are just some of the indications that, you know, might suggest that you're highly sensitive. But I can yeah. see they're all sort of like, you're going, yep, yeah, tick, 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 tick. Yes, yes, saying. yes. You're pointing out things to me. And I thought that maybe something being highly sensitive needs to, or uh, that you need to perceive things like major things quite differently, right? But easy things like clothing, smells and stuff. Did I all agree? I do have that. So... Yeah. yeah, I just put that tag on me, highly sensitive. I like it. I mean, and yeah. I agree with uh, as as well that one of the traits definitely is I don't like small talks. I like deep conversations and I'm seeking them. And I was in an environment for a long, long time where everything was just so on the surface, right? That was like there was nothing in depth. And as well, that the job I had uh, in between my two two businesses was just so superficial and it did not fulfill me i felt empty 
literally. Yes. And also this, yeah, definitely. And since I started connecting with people on a deeper level, no matter if I know them or not, because I think connections are real and I feel that. And uh, since then, I'm having quite different conversations that are also fulfilling for me, just not for the others. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's something as highly sensitive people, we really, we, we really like need that connection, want that connection. And because mm-hmm. we have the ability to do that, to go deep quickly. And, you know, we form great friendships, form great connections. We form great networks. We, mm-hmm. you know, we, we're really good at connecting people, connecting with people, connecting other people. We can also sense in a group quite easily what, what is needed in that group to make it mm-hmm. feel safe. We're really great at sort of building safe containers, safe spaces. And, you know, what is needed. And it might just be something as simple as, oh, it's getting a bit hot in here because we can really feel very slight changes in temperature. Let's open the window. Let's switch off those majorly bright lights that everyone's squinting at. Let's, you know, oh, I I don't know. Maybe we need a little break. Mm -hmm. You know, we we can just get that because the, the medical term for what is coined as the highly sensitive person is sensory processing sensitivity. Mm -hmm. which is not to be confused with sensory processing disorder. It just means we are sensitive to the processing of sensory stimuli. So we are taking all of the the sensory data that's going on around us. We are taking all of that in all of the time. And so the the flip side to being that, to to all the things we can do with it means that we're working really hard. Mm -hmm. So we do need our downtime to be able to rest and to recharge. And to wind down, yeah, to conscious yeah. rest and uh, stillness, yeah. what I learned for myself. Stillness is something yeah. that really helps me cope with any day. You yeah. can, I can be exposed to light, but I know I need my slightly darker warm light and uh stillness for a bit of time yeah and it's different for all of us so Mm -hmm. it's working out what works for us and nature is really important to most highly sensitive people time in nature so that we can just be out in the the vastness of it Mm -hmm. rather than stuck inside the room really that Mm -hmm. that really works yeah absolutely absolutely and i think but if somebody is able to use these gifts they are extremely valuable i think you agree with me there right Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you, I have to say. You know, the, the people talk about uh, highly sensitive um, people or the trait of high sensitivity. It's not just people that have it. It's also found in over 100 species of animals. Mm-hmm. And the current thinking is that, you know, the animals that have this trait are sort of the leaders of the pack sometimes. They're not necessarily the first one out there to... I don't know, take on an enemy, shall we say. Um, But they're the ones out there sensing, okay, so I I don't know, for instance, out on the plains, the water's in this direction, not that direction, or this Mm -hmm. is where we went last time, or there's danger coming. They're the the early warning system. They're the ones, they're they're like, um, you know, the animals who'll be on the edge of the pack, sensing what's going on. And when they say run, everybody runs because they know that these lot get it. Mm -hmm. So it's very much like that for as human beings but what's happened over the years is that sensitivity has had a bit of a bad press and we tend to associate sensitivity with with weakness and um it feels like it's something that oh you're so sensitive like you've got to toughen up well actually no you know thank you for noticing my sensitivity uh you know 
And you're welcome. You know, you're welcome that I'm sensitive because I can sense these things that you can't. It doesn't make me better than you. Mm-hmm. It just means I'm not worse. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to be who I am. And I'm going to bring I'm going to, I'm going to bring the gifts that I've got. You've got your gifts and I've got mine. And they are they are different. But actually, you know, we need more sensitive leaders. We need more sensitive leaders who who can lead from a place of what is good for the group, what is good for the community, what is good for the country. You know, what what is what is better for the collective? Because what I see is a lot of people in power making decisions based on a few rather yeah. than mm-hmm. a, a lot. How could you have ignored your calling for 27 years long? Is there an answer uh, to that? Yeah, well, I just think, I don't know. And actually, it's really funny. You've asked me that. And like the whole insides are like going, well, you, you know, how how did I? Um, I'm glad I found it now. You know, I'm in my 50s, but I've found it better late than never. It's never I too late. It is never too late and you're never too old. I think for me, I was busy surviving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You were occupied I was just, with other things. I, yeah, I was still occupied with surviving and, you know, living with the, you know, binge eating disorder and and with my childhood trauma and just generally feeling like I was broken and unworthy the whole of my life. Mm-hmm. And actually, I don't think that anymore. It's been It's been quite a transformation for me inwardly and you know, now outwardly a little over the last six years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Thank you, Philippa. And my favorite question, what do people misunderstand about you the most? Well, I'd like it's probably changed, actually. I would say that certainly up until my breakdown um, six years ago, the, the thing that people would say about me is that I am, I was confident. Mm-hmm. And I was not confident at all. I definitely came across as confident. You know, you could put me in a room and I'd be okay. I'd put me in a room with nobody I knew and I'd be okay and I could talk. I couldn't stand up in front of people and talk. Absolutely, I would never do that. But people thought I was confident. Friends thought I would confident. Family all thought I was super confident. But in fact, actually inside, I was a mess. Mm-hmm. It was all It was all a mask. It was all fake I didn't know it was fake at the time so it wasn't deliberately fake but it was definitely fake because I felt I couldn't let people see the real me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now I would say people don't misunderstand about me now they 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 don't understand that I'm much more of an introvert than an extrovert and they don't understand what being highly sensitive means and what it means to me but that's my mission now just to sort of to spread that word they they misunderstand and say I'm not sensitive but they don't quite get and I feel people still don't get me but that's okay because I get me that's okay yeah exactly (laughs) I totally agree yeah (laughs) thank you so much Philippa for being here and if people want to connect with you to learn about uh, your work where can people find you and how are you working with people yeah, so um, the best place to find me is on my website, uh, which is safeandsupported.co.uk. Um, there you can find out about my coaching. You can find out about my podcasts. I've just started a brand new podcast with a friend of mine called HSP Connection. So it's all about being an HSP. And you can exactly. find about the book that I've written. I, I, I wrote my memoir all about my journey 
to probably about three years ago. So there is nothing in there yet about sensitivity. I think that's a whole new book that in, in the end. But yeah, that's the best place to find me. Mm-hmm. And come and find the podcasts, um, HSP Connection, if you're interested. That would be amazing. Yeah, I'll put it down in the show notes. And I think uh, there is a new book to come. There's definitely another book in me, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Philippa. Thank you so much for your wisdom, for being vulnerable, for sharing your story. I'm sure it will inspire many, many people out there. Thank you for being my guest. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hey, do you want to create fantastic reels with unique captions quickly? This script has saved me time and brought back the fun of creating reels. The writing, transcript editing and recording program automatically detects errors, arms and speech gaps and much more. I became an affiliate of this script because it eliminates the sucky part of real and video editing and adds much value to my work as a coach and creator. You can try this script for free by clicking the link in the show notes and reach out to me if you need help with your first edits.